Digital 410 Productions proudly presents What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast with your host, Hey everybody and Donna. welcome to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast, your favorite World War II based podcast. My name is Don Abernathy and I want to thank everybody for joining us for another episode. Um, today's episode is going to be a little short. Um, we got a little bit of promotion going on. We're trying to help out a local museum that's getting ready to have their grand opening on Tuesday. Monday is their soft opening, but they are having a grand opening on Tuesday. We'll get more into that here shortly. But um, real quick, let's get a few things out of the way. I want to continue to thank At Computers for sponsoring and basically being the key source of income. But they've been servicing all of Southwest Florida since 2004 and pretty much everywhere else since 2010. Because if you have internet connection, they can help you. They can log in your computer remotely. They can set you up with online backup, antivirus, if you're having any sort of minor problems or even major problems. As long as your computer runs well enough that they can connect to it over the internet, they can help you resolve your issues. Not only residential, but business. If you're having issues with uh, your network, you don't have an IT guy to help with your servers, they can manage your servers remotely, they can help get things done. And if they get to a point where they need some boots on the ground, they will arrange that. Even if you're not in the same state, they will get people out there to your area to help get boots on the ground to get things up and running. So at Computers, they can help you with all your IT needs, whether it's networking, servers, cloud services, two-form authentication. They can help you out. Give them a call at 239-283-1120 or find them at their website at act-capecoral.com. Um, while we're on the promotion things, if you, I want to say thanks to all those people who have been buying t-shirts over the last six months or so. Um, we don't make a whole hell of a lot of money off those, but we do make a few bucks, and those few bucks add up to buy microphones and stickers and travel to help us try to make this podcast grow and to provide you guys with the content that you deserve and that we want to put out there that revolve around the content of World War II. Um, we try to bring some exciting content to listen to, some interesting stuff, try to bring history in a new way. We try to find stuff that uh, is not talked about constantly. That's why we had the guys from the Springfield Armory Heritage Museum come on. I've reached out to some other vendors who provided stuff to um, the war effort in the past. I'm not having too much luck finding people willing to come on, but we're continuing to look. And big news, our little podcast has gotten to the point now where people are reaching out to us. And, um, it happened again. I don't want to get too much into it. I just want to say that the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast is going to earn its wings next month, May 24th-ish. The Act Computers Mobile Studio is actually going to Texas. Just to give you a little tiny hint, we're going to Fredericksburg. We're going to do um, an episode remotely from a location out there. I will um, give you some more details on next week's episode. But uh, yeah, we're going to pack up. We're flying to Texas got big things coming out there so things are finally picking up moving along and i just want to get out all the things that we need to get out before we get down the show um one last thing for those of you who have been listening a while you know that part of my fitness regiment part of the reasons why i work so hard to lose weight and then to maintain my weight loss is to improve my impression um if you read the internationals pages americans we kind of get a bad rap for being overweight are reenactors a lot of overweight photos we catch shit for it and so part of my desire to lose weight and to get into shape was because i saw my photos over the years i saw the first few years that i was reenacting i was still skinny and then i saw that same uniform getting tighter and tighter and to be a little more authentic in that form 
And besides, why why is it a bad thing to want to take care of your body so you can live longer, be healthier, be able to do the things that we do? Um, if you want to participate more in actual reenactments and tactical events, you need to be able to move. You need to be able to march, hump, and do the things without dying, especially down here in Florida with the heat. So I say all that to say this. Um, much like reenacting or doing any other thing, when you're running and working out, when you first get into it, you wear pretty much anything. And you figure out through doing things over and over again that you tend to fight your equipment. For example, running with a, a phone with earbuds on can be a little bit of a pain in the ass because you're fighting the wire. You're holding the wire in the left hand. You're ho holding the phone in the right hand. And so then eventually you move on to earbuds, wireless. Then you got to find ones that have a battery life that's going to last the whole time you work out, etc. One of the things that have been bothering me, because I'm a bit of a hat snob, or a cap snob if you will, I don't like sweat stains on my baseball caps. Um, primarily because I like to wear them out in the public. I like to look nice when I'm wearing them. And I don't want to look like a slob. And I'm not just, that's just not my bag. I'm not into that sweaty, torn up, aged ball cap. And so I was trying to find a way to get a good alternative, if you will, to capture the sweat but not wear the hat, keep the hair out of my eyes. I, I tried wearing the fishing buff. They're too big. I tried to cut the sleeves off the t-shirt thing. They just turned into a hot, wet mess. Same with bandanas. And so I saw an Instagram ad for this company called Sleeves, and they make UV protectant, antibacterial, quick dry headbands, unisex, one size fit most. They got cool patriotic ones. I got a digital camo one. I got a kind of a black and gold vintage-esque American flag one, and I got a desert camo slash American flag. So I got three headbands. They're super cheap. I wore them. I've been wearing them past week, riding bikes, running, you know, five miles, running in the rain. They don't stretch out. They don't slide down your head. They're all tight-fitting, even though they are universal. They're unisex, one-size-fit most. And here's the cool thing. Check them out. They work great. If you're trying to get into a exercise regimen or you're already into one and you're dealing with, you know, the whole sweat, headband, headgear thing, it's easy. I found the solution. Go to sleeves.com, www.sleefs.com, go to the apparel headgear, choose the bandanas, use the promo code D41040, that is D41040, that'll save you 40% on your order, you won't be sorry, these things are great, check them out, support the show. So I want to give a big thanks to the kind fellows who run the Florida Flyboys, Ted, Don, John, Mike, Troy, thanks so much. Um, Last weekend, we were out at Sun and Fun 2019, as we tend to do. It's a great air show. It's a great time. It's a fun event. For those of you who don't know, it takes place every year in Lakeland, Florida. It's been going on forever, like 30 years or longer. It's kind of the best way to explain it. It's an aeronautical equivalent to a car show. So if you're a diehard airplane guy, you have a Cessna, you have whatever you're lucky enough to have some experimental stuff from world war ii or some preserved stuff from world war ii or modern day stuff you work for an air you know an aeronautical company you have some demo stuff whatever if it flies it's there they got hot air balloons they got helicopters cars that look like airplanes but all these guys fly in from all over the country all over the world they get their patch of grass they taxi over to it they pinch their they pitch their tent and they camp out for like almost two weeks. It almost runs like a week and a half. And they have warbirds there. They got the thunder. They have the blue angels flying over. They got P-47 Mustangs flying around. Well, this year, one of the guest airplanes that was there 
was the quote movie Memphis Belle. Now the reason I say movie Memphis Belle is because it is not the original Memphis Belle. This is the one that was created to be used in the filming of the Memphis Belle. This one was the one that was created to be used in the shooting of the movie Memphis Belle from 1990 featuring Matthew Modine, Eric Schultz, Tate Donovan, D.B. Sweeney, Bill Zane, Oh, I'm sorry, Billy Zane, Sean Astin, Harry Connick Jr., Reed Diamond, you guys know the one. Um, this was that plane. This was the plane that they had remodeled and rebuilt and refurbished to use in that movie. And so they had there on the um, so they had it there on the flight line, and we were asked by the one of the guys who runs the, the deal if we would be willing to come out in full World War II flight uniforms, B-17 flight uniforms for that matter and do a photo shoot around the airplane and of course the Florida Flyboys are like sure we would love to I mean what a great opportunity if you're portraying Army Air Corps particularly you have uniforms for the B-17 pilot and crew and you have access to the reproduction of the Memphis Bell and somebody wants you out there to do a photo shoot you're like sure well the problem is they really don't have enough guys to portray the full film to portray the full flight crew of a B-17. But that doesn't matter, And but we did, but that really wasn't a big deal, but one of the things they wanted to do was to, to fill out the photos, and so they asked a couple of us if we could come, those who had either overalls or Army HBTs, if we could come and dress up as flight crew. And I said, if we could come and dress up as, you know, mechanics, and do all the fake working on airplanes and I said sure I have some HBTs I'll make it work and so we get up at 7:30 in the morning on Saturday we go out to the parking lot and John Bonet looks at me and says hey I got you I got a full uniform don't even worry about your HBTs and so he outfitted me with a full flight suit the wool bomber jacket the leather the leather wool line bomber jacket the leather wool line headgear with goggles the May West, the parachute harness, the whole nine. I had everything. He, even the throat microphone. He completely outfitted me. Thank God the guy. He's a little bit shorter than me, but his clothes are run a little long. And so the thing actually fit, and I looked pretty damn good in it. I will say that the skull cap was a little small, but we made it work. I just kind of pulled the goggles down over my forehead so you couldn't see as much that it was a little short for me. But we made it work. Now... We got a jeep ride out to the flight line because it was almost, I would say, half a mile, maybe three quarters of a mile from our bivouac to the flight line. And not only are we wearing the full gear, but to make it look like we're getting ready to get on the planes, a couple of the guys brought their flight bags, had stuffed it full of gear so that they weren't flat. We go out there, we recreate a famous photo of a crew, not the Memphis Bell crew, but a crew in front of, actually I think it was a B-47 in the original photo. But they were all kind of down on the flight line looking at maps and kind of going over their 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 job for the day. And that became a famous picture. And we kind of meant to recreate that. And Ted brought out a silk map that he had gotten from a company that uses them for linings and reproduction bomber jackets. And so we, we did that. And there's a we did that. And there's a few other photographers out there. And we were out there for a good hour and a half. And it started to get hot. And... I was greatly surprised at how breathable this leather jacket was and this flight suit, but it's Florida, it's April, and by this time it's 9 in the morning, we've been out there a while, 10, we do 
a photo shoot. We're probably out there for two hours. And at some point, our Jeep got called away. Now, this becomes problematic because now we are getting hot. We got all this gear on. We took off some of the gear, but the more gear you take off, you put in the bag, the heavier the bags get. And basically, word came down that we could sit out there all day and wait for a ride, or we could hump it back to our bivouac. So we humped it back. And that was a long, hot, arduous walk. Now, I got to be honest with y'all. I got a confession to make. Friday night, I drank too much. Had way too many beers. And um, so now it's early Saturday. I'm wearing a cotton mesh. I think there's probably a little bit of wool in it, flight suit. Got a leather bomber jacket with a wool liner on. Leather skull cap with a wool liner. May West. Parachute harness. Boondockers. And I'm standing out in the hot Florida sun. And now I just walked a half a mile carrying a 40 pound bag. And it's hot. Now it's probably closer to 11. The sun's blazing down. We're on an airport. Very, very, very little tree cover anywhere. A lot of runway. A lot of taxiway, a lot of flight lines, a lot of hot sun radiating off the concrete, and it's getting hot. Now, my core impression for this weekend was Marine Corps, let's say Peleliu-ish, Tarawa-ish. I had on a pair of P-42 trousers and a P-41 shirt jacket with no t-shirt and a piss cutter and my boondockers. I lightened my load. I was so happy that I was coming as Marine. Don't have to put in any more wool. And everything's going swimmingly well. We're hanging out. We're talking. We go get some food. But I didn't really consume much more water. I had maybe a bottle and a half while we're out doing a photo out on the flight line. Came back. Maybe drank a half a bottle. We go eat lunch. I eat, drink a huge sugar-filled lemonade. And then I got to get a refill. And after lunch, we go back to the tent. And I'm sitting there, and I'm feeling like complete ass. Now, the downside to this is not only did we have a photo shoot this weekend, but there's a group here in Florida recording a documentary on World War II reenactors, and I'm hoping to have them on next week on next week's episode. And they're interviewing the guys. Uh, they interviewed Ted down on the flight line. They interviewed Troy down on the flight line. And now they have a tent set up, and they're looking for other reenactors to interview. Now, I had already talked to the documentarian about coming on our little show for an interview, so it would only be tit for tat, if you will, for me to do an interview on his, so that I provide some content to his show, since I'm asking him to provide some content to mine. But here's the problem. As they're doing the interviews of the other, you know, friends of mine, I'm laying in the tent, it's more of a mess fly, really, but I'm laying under the shade of the mess fly, and I lay back on the ground. I put my piss cut over my eyes because it's bright out. My contacts are killing me, and the whole world starts spinning off of its axis. Everything's spinning. I'm lightheaded. I'm spinning. So I try to find some ice. I try to get some water. It's hot. Luckily, I'd gotten a parking pass for my truck, so my truck wasn't all the way a mile away in the parking lot. It was mere 60 yards away so I stood up about fell down as the whole world was spinning some more it was clear to me at this point I was getting heat stroke so I went and I sat in my 
truck, turn on the AC for a while, drink some water, start feeling a little bit better. But to be quite honest with you, for the entire rest of the day and night, as I sat around drinking water, the world just kept on spinning and spinning and spinning. And I, I learned the hard way. I dropped the ball. Being a Florida reenactor, and being a reenactor in the summertime, regardless of Florida, even if you're Ohio in the middle of August, wherever it is, you got to keep the water in you. That's why you always should have a canteen with water on you. It was a busy day. Like I said, I drank way too much the night before. I completely messed up. And that heat stroke basically killed the rest of the weekend for me. I basically just laid around consuming water, just trying to get the world to stop spinning before I made my uh, two and a half hour drive home. But all in all, it was a great time. Heat stroke be damned. The photos have come out for the um, photo shoot we did with the movie Memphis Bell. Well, some of the professional great photos come out. The majority of what I have are stuff that we shot on our cell phones while we were out there when we had a moment. I had my GoPro-ish with me. I shot some super short footage because, once again, when you're out there as the, I don't want to say model, but when you're the subject matter of the photo, it's hard to take your own videos and photos as well. But I posted up on my YouTube channel, and I'll post on the page WTSPWorldWar2.com. That's WTSPWWII.com. Um, we got that going. You can check out the video there and some of the photos. But now I have the bug. Now I'm doing what a lot of us do, and we're wondering, shit, am I going to get to another impression? I already got two Marine Corps uniforms. Got an 82nd Airborne, which I rarely ever use, which is sad. Got my first ID. But do I need a flight suit? Do I want to join the Florida Flyboys regularly? I don't know, so I don't have to think about something I'll see if the investment's worth it. I might just pick up a uh, Mae West and then I could just throw on some khakis and do a Marine pilot. That might be a quick, easy fix, but uh, I don't know. Send me an email at info at WTSPWorldWar2.com. Let me know what you think. What impressions are you working on currently? Um, what you'd like to see or hear on the show? And if you want a WTSP decal, we still have those available. If you want a sticker, send us an email at info at WTSPWorldWar2.com. And joining us on the phone now is another uh, Southwest Florida reenactor I've been trying to get on for a while. Reached out to me because there's a pretty cool event coming up here in Punta Gorda here shortly, but we'll get to that in a moment. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing great today, Nathan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. I've been doing reenacting since 2002. Um, doing World War II reenacting since 2003. Some friends of mine said, hey, you like some more reenacting? We'll do some World War II reenacting. We'll do it one time. We'll use the uniforms and the weapons. And if you don't like it, you'll never have to do it again. And of course, life. <laughs> and so, Matt, what is your core um, impression? What, what's your uh, primary impression? Well, when I first started, it was uh, Second Rangers. I was part of the Second Ranger group. And then uh, my friend Eric, who I'm surprised hasn't been on yet, got me to do Germany. He said, just do it one time. If you don't have fun, you go back to doing GI again. And uh, so I did German. I'm the German, I guess, Lance Corporal now. And uh, I just did an impression there. It's uh, German, I guess, West Germany, uh, Normandy. A uniform I put together. That's really all I do uh, lately. I'm trying to put together my uh, grandfather's uniform. He was a crew chief for the 9th Air Force on uh, a C-47. I'm trying to put his together, his tank, 
uh, his Ike jacket, his Ninth Air Force Ike jacket together. Nice, yeah, you get a nice um, flight uniform put together, and you can join the Florida Flyboys. Oh, yeah. I actually just had the privilege of um, participating in a photo shoot with them last weekend at Fun and Son with the quote-unquote movie Memphis Bell. It's not the original Memphis Bell, but it's the, right. the uh, one they used for the creation of the movies featuring Harry Connick Jr. and the and crew back in the 90s. Right, I saw, I saw you guys on that. And the, they actually, there's a C-47 that's at the Punta Gorda Airport. It was in the same troop carrier wing as my grandfather from World War II. And the guy let me get on that plane and, you know, I, I haven't flown in it, but he left me a little tour of the plane, so it was pretty neat. So you actually got to tour and walk the the exact plane that your grandfather was stationed on? Well, it was, a, it was basically it was the same it was the same wing as my grandfather's. Thing. It was the same plane, basically the same plane, I guess. That's the exact one. Yeah, that, it's still pretty fun. I mean, that had to be pretty cool. I mean, a lot of us, our grandfathers served oh, yeah. in the war, but, you know, very seldomly, you know, I have a replica of my grandfather's dog tags, but very seldomly do we get to interact with something that was so closely related to the group that they were assigned to. Right. Oh, yeah. That was, that was pretty neat. And um, actually, I have all my grandfather's uh, memorabilia from the war, all his pictures and his, uh, his original dog tags and his original ribbons. Yeah, I think my uncle owns a majority of my grandfather's stuff. The one thing my mom did give me, um, she gave me the first aid kit that he brought back that mounts up underneath the dashboard in the willies. And so I have that around here somewhere. Um, not only do you do World War II reenacting, but you also do Civil War, correct? I do Civil War and I do Seminole War. Which one did you get involved with first? I got involved with Civil War first. Um, a friend of mine... Uh, Played in a church band with a guy that did reenacting, and he said, We need a bugler. My buddy said, Sure, I'll be a bugler. And he did the Battle of Fort Myers, and I would say this is in 2001. And he's, he knew that I was I was reading about Civil War history since I was eight years old, and he said, You need to come out and do this, uh, the next reenactment. So the next reenactment came up, and uh, it was to be Battle of Aleski in Lake City, Florida. And the first time I did it, I loved it, and I got hooked ever since. Well, as you mentioned, Eric Chadwick, a friend of ours, he's been trying to kind of hint around about getting me into Civil War stuff, and I don't have right. a problem with it per se, it's just, um, I would feel kind of like a poser if I showed up at a, a Civil War event just because I don't know the history, and obviously right, a big right. part of living history is being able to uh, relay the history and talk to the public about the history, and I don't want to be that cat who's sitting there in the full gear after or before the battle, and someone comes up to me, and I have to reluctantly and bashfully and sheepishly point them to somebody else. Oh, go talk to that guy. He knows about it. I don't know the first thing. I'm just here. Right, right. No, no, I understand. I get it. And it's fine. Most of the questions are really easy. It's, uh, what, what, what uniform? Are you in the blue uniform on? Are you Confederate? No, I'm in the Union <laughs> Yeah, but I, I like to I like to add a little more to it and be knowledgeable. Right, right, right. It. Now, now we're doing the 155th Osaka in May. We have to, we're dressed in blue on both days. That's the, uh, the the first battle in the uh, Sherman's Atlanta campaign in uh, Northwest Georgia. That ought to be. Now you said that's in May. That's in May. It's the I think May 17th that weekend, 17th, 18th, 19th. Now, Matt, uh, you're one of the few um, German reenactors I've had on the show, and I've kind of I've reached out to a few people who weren't too interested in coming on because some of the questions I had. But if you don't mind, especially in today's age with um, everybody 
kind of wanting to erase history or getting offended by history and things like that. Right. Um, first off, how long have you been doing your German impression? I would say about 10 years. I only do it, I usually do it on VKE. I've done a couple of tacticals, but for the most part, for spectator events, I've only done VKE. It's almost like a Hogan's Heroes type event, same thing. Sure. Well, I guess one of my questions was, is over the last 10 years, have you seen a change in the public's interaction or opinion with, you know, you wearing the uniform and some of the patches or emblems that may be on said uniform and how they handle it? Because um, obviously um, we all... Uh, this is, I've never had I've never had any bad interactions with people for the most part. Um, VKs is one of the main event I really do anymore, and I'm always waiting for somebody to say something, and I really don't have anybody... We're not, we're not uh, doing a, the Heil Hitler salute or anything like that. We sure. talk about concentration camps or like that. And we actually have this a Jewish group actually rides the train to make sure that we're not glorifying Nazism on the train. So it's basically like a Hogan's hero thing, if anything. We're not trying to make the Germans sound like we're good people. We're mean on the train, no doubt. But uh, we, we, we don't downplay what the significance of what happened. But it's always better to do we're doing a spectator event to have the guys and the bad guys so that's the bad guys, you know, we're obviously frowned upon, but we do our job in, in that way. Too. So everybody knows that, hey, these guys are bad guys. And, you know, we're not, we're not dressing up to be, you know, to be cool. We're just dressing up to be, you know, to be the bad guys in the, in the, in the show, basically. Yeah, and to be a little, yeah, to be a little fair, beyond, yes. Beyond the, beyond the show, I don't ever wear the uniform the rest of the year. I just put the closet and it stays in the closet the rest of the year. And, you know, to be a little fair, yes, if you're doing an impression of an SS officer, um, someone like that, yes, cross the board, bad guy. Not going to make yeah. any excuses. Oh, yeah. But if you're portraying a Weimar Republic soldier, a lot of those cats didn't have a choice. Uh, they, oh, yeah, they, they, they were forced to fight, or, um, for those of you who don't know your history, they were basically uh, soldiers of the last army that that particular group of uh, Germans fought against and basically took them prisoner, conscripted them, and uh, gave them a uniform, made them fight, or get shot in the back. And so... Right, right. If you, if you read about Normandy, most of those guys were conscripts, Polish and Ukrainian con uh, conscripts that were fighting in Normandy. A lot of people don't realize that. I think it's, you know, they, were all, they were all Nazis. That was it. Uh, once, you get it once you get into it, you find out where all these guys came from. Like, a lot of the Ukrainians were just trying to get out of the concentration camps and on the, on the prison war camps. Yeah, and yep. and then the rest of them, it was, hey, you're a natural-born German, you you better fight, or uh, you can quickly be uh, taken care of as a traitor as well. Oh yeah, and you I think a prison, or you gonna fight. <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of people, you know, it's kind of a selective, uh, self-selecting sample when it comes to your interaction with people at World War II reenactments and living history, because most of those people. Um, at least the majority of them already have sort of an interest in history, and they know why they're right. there. Um, you know, yes, every once in a while you'll you'll get the kid who's dragged along by their grandparents or someone who just, oh, we came across and wanted to check it out. And so when you have that self-selecting sample, they understand the concept of what you're portraying. And furthermore, like I like to tell people, um, having a World War II event without a quote-unquote enemy would be like. Mm -hmm. you know, watching Schindler's List or Save It Private Ryan without an enemy. Right. You have to have someone to portray the other side of the story, or otherwise you just got a bunch of guys standing around. And most of these guys reluctantly are to the other side of the story. Most of the guys that are German are, are actually vet. 
you know, Matthew Palmer was a Marine Corps. Eric was 82nd Airborne. Uh, Jim does uh, German sometimes. He was a Marine. Like, a lot of those guys are vets. So they serve the U.S. forces. Right. That's being Germans because it's fun. It's, you know, well, it's fun for us, but it's not, it's, you know, not trying to glorify, you know, the German side. It's that we want to have two sides and we're going to do that side. Anyway, most of those guys have GI impressions too. So. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I told people the major difference between, see, the logistical mistake I made when I got into reenacting is the first impression I did was Marine Corps. Well, there's, at least back then, there's very few Marine events because, once again, we don't have an opposition to go up against. It's hard to get people right. to, you know, authentically portray Japanese soldiers. Whereas when the ET, right. ETO, you just get a guy who has a, I'm going to do 82nd Airborne this weekend, but next weekend I'll put on my German impression and, and yell out some bad German just so right. that we can have an event and have an adversary to fight against. Right. And so yeah, what, I think on more on the, on the West Coast, you probably get more... World War II Pacific, I think it's more of an Asian population over there. They might be more into it. I don't know. Yeah, it seems. I seen anything. Yeah, I don't know how, and this is kind of a broad stroke, maybe not my place to say, but it would seem, right. at least in that manner, it seems like a lot of um, less interest in portraying the bad guy, especially when it's your, you know, your heritage and you know right, right. some of the atrocities they did. You know, so you know I. I know a lot of GIs don't do German because their grandfather served, mm -hmm. and they don't want to disgrace their grandfather's memory, which I can understand. It's, it's all you know, it's fun and good. But I know my grandfather had a good uh, when he was in near the end of the war. They were flying prisoners of war out. He had a my grandmother told me that and he was real nice to German prisoners, and they were real nice to him back. So if he, if he can be nice to Germans, I can be nice to Germans. And once again difference between Weimar soldiers and, you know, not a Hitler youth born and raised SS members. So, I mean, there's, there's quite a, quite a um, leap and bound, but Matt, you reached out to me because there's something kind of cool going on, at least in the historical side. And um, it's always great right. to hear this sort of thing happening and to help preserve history and particularly uh, military history. Explain to us uh, what's coming up here on April 15th here in Southwest Florida. Uh, April 15th, uh, Monday, April 15th, uh, 530. Uh, it's at 900 West End, uh, Honey Board of Florida. Uh, they're moving the heritage, the military heritage museum from Fisherman's Village to their own new building now. It's a separate building. Uh, they've already got in the lobby, they got a 37 millimeter anti-tank gun in the lobby. It's all going from some guy here in Southwest Florida. And they've got about, I guess, three or four times as much space as they did before. They're going to have a, I think they've got a little, a little theater inside as well. And, uh, I'm looking forward to going inside. I, mean, I talked to the Vice President uh, Jack Howard last uh, yesterday. He talked about how much stuff they have, and, and they have so much space to put all this stuff out. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, exciting to see what, what exactly they have out there. And he, uh, he got with me, and he wants to do an airborne, an airborne room. And I've got my grandfather's battlefield honors from D-Day that he wants to put up. So that might not be Monday, but it might be up, you know, next month or so. Yeah, absolutely. And besides, when it comes to stuff like that, as we've mentioned in the past, um, when it comes to um, specifically paper artifacts, is before you can go and display them and hang them up, they have to be put right. framed in acid-free paper, UV-protecting glass. You you have to go out of your way to protect those things because, and even once they're in the you know UV-protecting glass and all that, you still have to put them in a room that doesn't have direct sunlight because even with all the protection. UV just right. You have the right temperature and humidity, and uh, you gotta make sure things aren't crawling out and chewing on on paper. Mm -hmm. in the back, you know? 
now it sounds to me they they kind of you know they they first started off with a small display and as what tends to happen is that generation passes away more and more family members look for places to donate stuff and then right. before you know it you have more stuff you that you want to display that you don't have the square footage for and so you're kind of you get to this point where you either have to say we're going to commit to this and do some fundraising and grow bigger or we need to reevaluate what we're doing and it sounds like they made the right decision to grow right. larger and I think they're going to go bigger. I think this is like a temporary location. They're actually going to go bigger in the future because they have so many donations and so many people. You got to figure that in our county, is the, our Charlotte County is the highest median age county in the entire U.S. So we have all these retirees coming out, and many, many of our World War II veterans. Now we have a lot of Vietnam veterans, and we'll you know, soon be going to Persian Gulf War veterans here very soon. Not to for, not to forget the Korean War. Got a lot of oh, Korean yeah, that's War the, veterans the Korean down here. We're not going to forget the Korean War. No, no. Actually, I think Jim does a Korean War impression. Jim Clark down in uh, Naples. Uh, yeah, I know Art Dersheimer does one as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so that's April 15th. What time did you say the doors are opening? It's uh, 5.30. 5.30 p.m. Yeah, yeah I, I hope... the museum's open like 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. any other day of the week. Sure. But it's 5.30 on that day, so ribbon cutting. Looking forward to it. And um, now... Our reenacting season here pretty much is starting to wrap up for the summer because obviously down here in Florida it's just way too hot to be uh, wearing too hot to, do anything. <laughs> to be wearing all that wool. Um, right. Now I did just recently, and I'm I'm working on logistics now. Um, we just got an invitation out to uh, Fredericksburg, Texas, to uh, come out and interview some vets at the National Museum of the Pacific War. And to participate oh, wow. in their um, living history um, productions, because I mean, it's at that place, it's almost a production. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but they pretty much have a sound stage out back with Japanese bunkers, the tanks, active flamethrowers. They got 150 oh, wow, reenactors, cool. all don't you know, dual marine in Japanese. They got um, yeah. for Sherman. So I want to go out and participate in all that and interview um, a couple of vets they got coming out. That's coming up um, next month. So look forward to that. And um, awesome. now, like I said, Sun and Fun was good, but I, I got to be honest with you. Um, over the last few years, it seems like our display is getting pushed further and further out into um, vendor land and right. further and further away from the flight line. And it seems like um, our attendance as far as public trackness down is getting a little um, smaller and smaller. Mm. And that's that's a little concerning, a little disappointing. And that and the other the other hassle with that particular event is because it's so big. Right. Getting your stuff from your car to the bivouac area <laughs> to have a good living history display set up is quite cumbersome, and it usually requires multiple trips with a jeep or a golf cart. And so, inadvertently, what has happened over the last few years is. The guys are basically coming out with just what they can carry on them, and then that makes for a smaller display and a smaller camp. And right. and then it seems like that also turns into a smaller turnout of reenactors each year. So it'll be interesting to see which way that goes and if we can turn it around at all. But um, yeah, I hope so. I uh, my buddy's dad uh, was flying with the Warbirds out there. I'm not sure which one. It's fun and fun. He's there. He owns uh, Trudeau Warbird Enterprises at the Pennywood Airport where they rebuild all the old World War II aircraft. Nice. 
So his name is Jamie Trudeau. They do center fun and Tico. They find the Warbirds when they fly around in the formation. Yeah, I think that was probably done during the week. I got there, you know, late Friday and Saturday. Right. But uh, and that's and that's also a long, long event. Um, but it's cool in the fact that it's like the um, aviation community's equivalent to a high-end car show. You know, you have all these oh, yeah. die-hard guys come out with their planes and they pitch their tents underneath them, and you know, it's just a great week-long, almost damn near two weeks. The time everybody got packed up and flown out of there, but it's always a good time. It's just I'm a little concerned with which way the living history aspect of it's going to go. Right, we did a wounded warrior project a few years ago, and we did it on a golf course in Rotunda near Inglewood, Florida. And huh. um, we had a flyover, and I would say like 30 or 40 warbirds fly over, and we were ambushing golfers on the golf course. Nice tactical battle. The golfers didn't care for it. <laughs> Are you planning on going up to Georgia next year for the second annual World War II weekend? Uh, do you know when it is offhand? Oh, I want to say January or February. It's 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 the cold part of the year. Yeah. But it last year, well, last year, a few months ago, was the first one, and it you know the turnout was really well. Florida really represented it. I don't think if a lot right. of the Florida guys wouldn't have came, it you know there wouldn't have been a whole hell of a lot going on. So hopefully next year. A lot of more cats from Tennessee and the North will come down to help support that event. Yes, yeah, I've seen a lot of events up in up in the north, the Northeast and the Midwest. Those guys have a lot of a lot of armor and a, a lot of troops up that way. Once again, Matt, I want to appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, spreading the word about the opening of the Punta Gorda Military History. Uh, ah, coming on and uh, promoting the opening on April 15th, the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the Punta Gorda Military Heritage Museum. And I hope to see you out there. And thanks so much for uh, coming on and wanting to spread the word, and thanks for everything you do to uh, help preserve history and uh, get the word out. Hey, thanks for having me on, Adrian. I appreciate it. Not a problem. And I just got a little post message from Matt about the opening. Um, says the ribbon cutting ceremony will be Monday at 5:30 p.m., but the official grand opening will be Tuesday at 10 a.m. They have two flight simulators and a gun range upstairs, and they have a ton of great displays. Uh, Matt said he was there yesterday helping out, and will be there tomorrow as well. And he'll try to send me some pics. I gotta say that's pretty damn cool. Um, I've been to quite a few museums. I have yet to have been to one with a gun range upstairs. Check that out. I mean. What a better day than to go check out some World War II uh, relics and to go upstairs and uh, send a few down range. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. I want to thank everybody for your continued support of our show. Thanks so much. I did all the uh, promotion stuff at the beginning of the show. But uh, if you're looking for more information, we are on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, pretty much everywhere. Our website is WTSPWorldWar2.com. My name is Don Abernathy. And I'm-